Yeah, anytime you're doing something that doesn't, you know, stick to a, whether it's like a cultural narrative or a social like expectations, um, I think there's challenges and I think there's going to be pushback. Maybe it's from your family, maybe it's from your friends or even from yourself, like breaking that in you and challenging yourself and like, well, no, I was supposed to be at, you know, this place by this age or whatever. Like you think it's okay. It's okay to take a different path. And I think that's one thing. And I think, and I'm a product of that mentality. I told you I was, I loved school. So for my daughter, it's really important for me, for my daughter to have that intuition, um, in her bones and say like, you know, this doesn't feel, this is not for me and I'm okay walking away. I'm okay changing course. Um, I think that's really important because I did not do that for many years. Hey loved ones, welcome to Naked Conversations, a space for you and I to meditate, strategize, and dream of the tools needed to transform into radical selves. I'm your host, Martisa Williams, free being, radical wayshore, and liberation doula. My purpose is to support the collective on our journey to deeper joy, sweeter justice, and fulfilling presence. So are you ready to step into your most liberated life yet? Let's get to it. Hi friends. Over the past year, it has become abundantly clear that our world and our communities are in desperate need of some healing. Between the state-sanctioned murders of dozens of black and brown folks, to climate catastrophe, to the war on folks with uteruses, and all manner of international nightmares, the way we've always done things is killing us. And in the wake of all of this, many of us have felt hopeless and confused. We sign petitions and donate money and post on Instagram, but that honestly just doesn't feel like enough. For years, I have held the belief that transformed people transform the world. The work of freedom and liberation must be done both from the political side and from the shifting of the individual's heart. And for many years, I've been playing with methods of doing this for myself, working on how to unlearn the oppression that I grew up in, how to stop perpetuating that oppression in the world around me. And out of that inquiry and experimentation came the toolbox. So the toolbox is an annual membership packed with the tools I've used to make anti-oppression a daily practice. With the 12 month membership, you get unlimited access to all of my embodied liberation workshops, presence practices, group coaching, and more. Pre-sale of the membership starts now. And when you sign up between now and December 31st, you'll receive a free 30-minute one-on-one coaching session with me, regular group coaching calls exclusively for founding members, a free month when you refer a friend, and access to offer direct feedback on the membership as it grows. In an effort to create accessibility, I'm providing this membership with sliding scale pricing. So you can choose a price that is accessible for you for as low as $39 a month. This is a huge, huge part of my life's work and I am so excited to share with you. For more information or to become a founding member, click the link in the show notes or go to letsgetnaked.com slash the toolbox. Hello, dear ones. Welcome back to another episode of the Naked Conversations. I was about to say the Naked Podcast. I'm so used to saying that. Um, How was your week? How was your heart? It is so interesting for me, this being my first fall in LA and not experiencing fall. I mean, there is, LA has its own type of fall, but all of my life I have been used to the 
changing of the seasons being marked by new colors and crisp weather and cozy clothing. And last week it was in the 90s here, <laughs> which I'm not complaining. It's just a uh, observation and one that is interesting for me. I wanted to chat a little bit about the toolbox and specifically some of the decisions or reasons why I'm making I'm making this tool available to everyone. And I often think about fractals, which is a term that I learned from Adrienne Marie Brown. If you're interested in her work, you can go back a couple episodes to hear the interview that I did with her. But she talks about it in Emergent Strategy and the the like T too long didn't read TLDR. I can't, I'm not hip enough to remember that off the top of my head. Um, is that fractals, that everything is a fractal, that this universe is built up of fractals and everything that happens on the micro is reflected in the macro and vice versa. And I often think about this in the terms of collective liberation and was thinking about this a lot in my reasoning for building the toolbox, for building this tool for us to practice anti-oppression on a day-to-day basis. Because I truly believe that what happens on an individual scale scales up to what is happening on a global scale. And what is happening on a global scale scales down to be what's happening on an individual scale. And what we have the most control over is ourselves and how we relate to ourselves, how we relate to one another. And we can control our own own learning process that is in our realm um, of control. And it feels the most possible. It feels the most movable. And so one thing that does happen is that we think it is overwhelming to um, unlearn these systems of oppression to change the world. But one thing that I want to really stress is that we can take it step by step And one of those steps is us. It is how we see the world. It is how we relate to ourselves. It is the decisions that we make. It is the way that we speak. We can change those things and we can do it little by little without shame, with pure pleasure and with pure joy. And that is possible. That is a thing that is possible in the world. That is a thing that is possible for ourselves. And that is why I created the toolbox is like, how do we do that every single day? How do we make that a daily practice, a part of our routine is unlearning the ways that we've taught to be small, that we have taught to be dominant, that we have taught to be in fear. How do we unlearn those so that we can contribute to the joy and the pleasure and the justice, the true justice on a larger global scale? Um, so yeah. Those are my thoughts on that today. I will continue to share for the next couple episodes. Um, We only have two more episodes in this. After this episode, we only have two more episodes of this season. But I will continue to share some of the behind the scene thoughts of why I created this tool and creating this tool and why it's now available for you for pre-sale. So if you're interested in making anti-oppression a day-to-day practice and becoming a founding member of this tool and being in deeper relationship with me and deeper relationship with this work, all of that is available for you. And I'm really making this as accessible as possible. So there are actually discount codes. So if finances are tight for you right now, you can use one of the discount codes to make the sliding scale that is already super affordable for the value of this product. You can make it even more accessible for you. So please, please do so. So let's get into into today's episode. Today we talk with Esperanza Mendez, who is a Chicana mother, activist, birth worker, and multi disciplinary storyteller. She is the founder of Radical Families, and her work has been found on internationally renowned sites. She's a writer. She is a thought 
leader, and I'm super excited to have this conversation with her. We talk about Esperanza's background and, and where she came from, and we talk about her road to homeschooling. We talk about anti-oppression in homeschooling curriculum. Um, we talk about the difference between homeschooling and traditional schooling and how there is privilege in homeschooling. She acknowledging that and us acknowledging that. And we talk about her organizing work and decolonizing and how to have really hard conversation with kids, your kids, the kids in your life, and how to do that from an age-appropriate space. I really loved having this conversation with Esperanza. And just a quick note that um, the sound quality is pretty good. You can hear her well, but in the background you do hear her kiddos, which feels actually very fitting for the episode. So hope you enjoy and I'll see you on the other side. Hello, hello. Hi. Hi, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. Awesome. So the first question I ask all my guests is what made you, you? It's a great question. I love that question. I am, and it's a poetic question, really. I think I answer um, things in poetry and in uh, words are my life. So I am, my name is Esperanza. I am the fourth, actually no, the third Esperanza in a line of Esperanza. So my grandma, my mom, me, and then my daughter, her middle name is Esperanza. We're all first born um, in our family, strong um, Latinx women, or I should say Mexican. Some of us are Mexican-American. And I think... The women in my life made me me. Um, The community that I come from made me me. I'm calling in from the Coachella Valley, which is um, stolen Cahuilla land. Uh, That's in Southern California. Um, We live in a literal tale of two worlds um, in my with my work hat on, I work for a nonprofit that does housing justice work. Um, and we examine policy that looks at um, just kind of the the literal segregation in housing in this community and the policies that um, exist you know through overt and covert racism. And so, it's a beautiful community. On one side, we have Palm Springs. It's like a bachelorette destination. Um, you know, all the fun, colorful hotels. And then on the other side, we have the farm workers that work those hotels and the migrant community that works in the, in that, um, that puts food on the table for, for us and for, you know, the rest of America. So all of those things made me, me, um, I am a product of my culture. I am a product of my my you know community, and most recently of my motherhood. I became a mother, um, and I think that's probably how you found me um, on one of my Instagram pages. I navigate the complexity of just being a mother who wants to raise humans that are um, critical, that are self-aware, that are anti-racist, that are, and and it's founded in um, decolonization of all the things. So that was a really long-winded. That's great. Who am I? (laughs) What makes me me? I love it. No, it was great. I think it's always so interesting to hear the backstory for me because there's like the reason I call or ask a lot of people to be on the show is like, hey, I want to know about your work that you do and let's talk about it. But like the how we got to this work is always super important is the reason why I asked this question. Yeah. But I definitely want to talk about homeschooling and radical homeschooling, what that looks like, what that means. Um, And my first kind of question for you was, 
at what point did it become critical conversation for you to be like, hey, this is how I need to raise my kids. This is how I need to educate my kids. Um, at what point did that happen for you? And what brought you there to that decision? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a, definitely um, the personal is political for me. So as I was growing up in this community, um, I ironically, I don't know if it's ironic, I loved school. I really loved school. I loved, um, I loved the structure. I loved um, some of my teachers, not all of them. Um, and I just really thrived in that kind of academic, like academically rigorous um, environment. And it wasn't until later um, that one, I was able to examine experiences um, that I had in high school and even before that I was given the tools and the language to examine those experiences. Um, and I'll give you a few, I'll, I'll give you a few examples. So one, I, I loved school. I was, I did really well in school. I did so well that by the time I was ready to graduate high school, I was um, invited or asked, or I don't know what the word is, but I was um, asked, uh, given the op opportunity to graduate in white, in a white robe. Um, and it's, you know, instead of the school color, which is, it was, at the time it was gendered, girls wore burgundy, blue, blue was for boys, dark blue. Um, and then the people that had a 4.0, cumulative 4.0 or above at the end of their high school career were given a white robe um, as a sign of excellence. And I remember when we were called into the room that was giving us the announcement, it was the principal, he called all of us. And these were my classmates, the majority of them, you know, and these were all folks that were in honors classes and, you know, AP, IB classes. Um, I looked around the room and I was like, okay, so these are all the smart kids. And I didn't include myself in that statement. Um, and I remember looking around and then um, the principal made the announcement. It was like, congratulations, you are all, you know, graduating in white. You did great. And I just remember I was in such a state of shock that I just, I started crying. I was with one of my best friends and I was like, there's no way I'm graduating in white with these guys. And then he was like, yeah, you know, you worked hard. What are you talking about? You're smart too. And I just remember that was one of the most, that was one of the moments where I had like such an awakening about kind of the internalized oppression that I had had for myself. Um, I just remember, and, and of course it was fed by overt covert racism from on the behalf of my teachers, classmates, um, always made, I was made to feel inferior, whether it was because of the color of my skin, because of the way I talked or whatever. Um, and then again, later in, I, in college, I, I got to study um, literature and, and psychology, but I focused a lot on like um, cultural, uh, cultural studies and like Chicano lit and I was given finally the, the words for what I was feeling I was I didn't know what I had felt before was internalized oppression but it was mm. and even systemic oppression right there was another incident that I'll talk about um, I was also in band um, in high school and, and and in my junior, um, middle, what is it called? Middle school. Mm -hmm. And there, when there were these classmates that would go around shouting, um, literally, I kid you not, they would go around shouting white power and they would just like to each other. It was a joke. It was always a joke. Of course. My teacher, my band teacher did nothing about it. Um, and I think about that now I've, and I, I'm just like, so Again, over and covert, right? There was absolutely explicit messages that I shouldn't be there, whether it was there in that literal space or just in general, I should not exist um, in my brown body in that space. And so again, and, and so then fast forward a few years and I became a mother. Um, and I just 
my, when my daughter turned four, I started looking at the um, just preschool options around our community. And I was so excited for her. I was like, oh, you know, I was ex excited for her despite the the things that I had experienced. I was like, you know, she's going to get the best school. We, you know, my husband and I were in a place where we could put her in the best programs and we had worked hard. And um, then she put the brakes on for me. She, mm -hmm. she experienced extreme anxiety mm -hmm. when we talked about school and she was just like, she was like, I'm not going, I'm not going, I'm not going. She would cry. She would just start. Um, it was just like completely not what I was expecting. And given my parenting journey to, to then, I, I, I mean, I, if we put labels on it or not, I practiced like gentle parenting. I practice um, um, just sort of uh, conscious parenting where I listen to my child. I don't, I do not believe in like authoritarian, um, which is, uh, it can be kind of cultural too, right? Like you're going to do as I say, because I said so, um, you know, porque yo soy la mamá or whatever. You, you, you hear these messages growing up, but um, so, and my, and, and people in my family, in my life and my family were like, you're crazy. Like, why are you listening to your four-year-old? And I was like, no, she, her voice matters, you know? Yeah. I love that. Her voice matters. Um, and I wanted, I wanted my daughter to internalize that too. So we didn't, we didn't put her in any specific program. And I just started looking for homeschooling, you know, alternative schooling methods. And since she was so young, she didn't qualify for like TK or any of those. Um, she didn't qualify for just like a traditional uh, charter program that, that would have paid for um, like any of the curriculum or anything. So we just kind of went on our own and it was really just a, um, an opportunity for us to explore topics. And as I looked, I looked and I looked for curriculum that was obviously educational and, and things but also inclusive diverse um conscious had a critical lens and and, and i am a firm believer that you know um through not just like through my education like i i studied, i did a lot of developmental psychology too um that kids get it right like kids can mm -hmm. talk about hard things kids can have these conversations and they're open to them so we started we bought a couple of things here and there online and a lot of them were written by white women um you know it was fine but i would take it a step deeper so i'll give you an example we had a curriculum that the first unit out since it was in the fall it was like an apple unit and it was like, okay, um, you know, each day we did, we did math with apples and again, she's little. So this is an example of preschool, but we counted with apples. We sorted the apples and created little like um, tactile graphs with, we had like four green apples and things, but then, um, and then we had painting with apples. We sliced them and we painted with the core and things. And then we um, learned about apples. We, we went to an apple orchard. We got to see kind of what apple picking was like and you know what, how apples grow. Then we took it another step further and this was not in the curriculum that we bought um, and talked about farm workers. And we talked mm -hmm. about how you know this and we talked about the that that day we went to the apple orchard we talked about the word privilege and we said you know this is fun this is a lot of fun but this is a lot of privilege that we're coming to pick these apples for fun um and we talked about what that means and then you know the next day we talked about farm workers and how that's a job for them that's and and out here again i'm calling from the Coachella valley it's still i'm it's 109 degrees right now so in the summer up, gets up to 120 degrees mm. um so if you can imagine picking and i i talked to my daughter about all this you know if you can imagine picking vegetables picking fruits in that weather um what does that look like what is that what would how would that make you feel 
And then we, I had her talk to her grandparents because my parents were migrant farm workers. Mm. And I had her ask questions, you know, that doing research. Of course, she doesn't, she, she was four at the time. She doesn't know what research means, but she, she was like, she had a little notebook and she was just like doodling as they talked over her. But instilling, for me, it was really important from an early age to instill all of that, all of those pieces and the pieces of, of story and of the, the pieces of like um, information does not just have to come from those traditional spaces, textbooks, um, you know, those, those spaces that are, you know, just for a lot of folks inaccessible, whether language mm -hmm. barrier, whether financial barrier. So I think that's kind of, that was where it started and where it continues to grow from. Yeah, there's so many gems in what you said. Like for me, the first thing that stood out was your, I'm gonna say bravery, cause that's the, the, the language that makes sense or is coming to me right now, but like your bravery and being able to be like, hey, my four-year-old just told me, no, not school. Like that's not what I wanna do. And like culturally, I know in a lot of POC cultures, like that's not the parenting method. Like it's like exactly what you said, like what I say goes, it doesn't matter four years old, what do you know, you know? And I think for me being very much in like the spiritual world and the yoga world, like that's like a teaching right there, like to your daughter to be like, no, you, you what you feel and your intuition, your intuitive nudge is like valid. And that's cool for me just hearing that like it's possible to, to raise kids that way yeah. from the get-go. So what does that look like moving as she gets older into the curriculum? How do you like continue to enforce that in, in your parenting and in your, your homeschooling methods? Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of homeschooling parents will tell you this, that that homeschooling does not look like normal schooling in, in the amount of time that it takes. Um, it usually, I think there's a breakdown and I can send it to you. It was like a meme coming out close to the start of a pandemic um, shutdown um, earlier in the spring where it was like, you got all these schedules that people were posting that like, okay, we're going to do math from nine to 10 and we're going to do language arts from 10 to 11. But homeschooling looks like exactly what we did, right? All those things, going to an orchard, painting with apples, talking about the language around the apple, um, counting the seeds in an apple, getting your hands in dirt and planting the seeds um it looks like baking it looks like so it's it's a lot it's a lot of folks believe that and again I have young children so I don't know what it's going to look like later um I don't know what it's going to look like in high school but I think I think it'll be a lot of the same right it I, for me so I'm a I'm a, I work for this like housing stuff but I'm a community organizer by trade. Um, I, I've been an organizer for over a decade and a lot, everything I do is rooted in relationship. Mm. And so for me, teaching that is important and, and building a relationship with my child is important and giving that, you know, them the opportunity to build relationship. And it's hard right now, just in the context of COVID, but we we do a lot you know and later as it becomes safer it'll be rooted in in volunteer work it'll be rooted in you know what you're coming to my organizing meetings with me i've taken them you know to go canvas communities when they're little baby swings and to me that is you know that is the curriculum that is that is what is maybe they won't be into community work as they grow up and they'll find something else that they're passionate about but I mean that's what I know and that's what I'm bringing them along to so I mean I hope so but <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah so I what I was thinking is I'm not I'm not a mother yet but homeschooling is um something that I've always thought about as something I'd wanted to do um, and then thinking about, I have friends that have been homeschooled, and then I have friends that are parents that are obviously now are thrusted into homeschooling. 
Um, and part of it I keep thinking about is like, I've always framed homeschool around privilege that like <laughs> there is, at least when I think about it in my life, I'm like, I would have to have the privilege of not having to work in order to be able to homeschool my kids. So, and you work, you work full time or like, how do you, how do you like navigate that with being, having to bring home a paycheck and being there for your kids and working and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, it's, it's a challenge for sure. Um, and, and I have been, um, it is absolutely a privilege because there have been waves. So my husband is, um, also works and he had, when I had my daughter, I, um, worked for, um, I worked in reproductive justice and I, um, actually stepped down from my role because I, my hours were just pretty wild and I, I, important work, reproductive justice as at the heart of, of just also who I am, but I, um, I stepped down and then I started looking or maybe not looking. I think the work kind of started finding me, which also sounds like a lot of privilege, but again, I'm, I'm a storyteller. So I started, um, I actually started a blog and I started writing about my experience. I was the first of my friends. I was, I mean, I wasn't a young mom, but a lot of my friends were very like career driven, very, you know, on the path to finishing a master's and doing whatever, establishing sort of a, um, a trajectory in their career before having kids. So I was the first in, in my circle of friends. I continue to be the first in many ways. There's still, some folks are barely, you know, pregnant. And um, so I started writing. And then um, a former boss of mine messaged me and she was like, hey, I've been reading your work. I see that you can write. Um, Univision is looking for a journalist right now in this for this project. And I was like, hell yeah, I want to do that. Right, right. Um, and so, you know, I got to do some of that work. And then after that, I, I connected. It, it's all connected, right? All, all the, and that's why I always say my work and my life is rooted in relationship um, because because of the relationships I've fostered, I've been able to be connected to these amazing opportunities. And so from there, they, they said like, hey, AJ Plus, Al Jazeera is looking for an on the ground producer in Coachella. They want to do a story on, on farm workers, on the farm worker community. Um, so I continued to do that. I continued to follow that, that path of, of relationship and um, Picking and projects that I, I feel really strongly about. Um, so I'm working full time right now, but it's an it's a it comes and goes, it ebbs and flows. My work, um, I'm very lucky in that I I get to be choosy one, and two. Um, but anyway, it it is it's it is privilege, and I think I've said that in my Instagram. Like absolutely, we are all privileged to get to do this. Um, what are you going to do with that privilege though? What are you going to do with that time that you have at home? You know, yeah, you should go to an apple orchard. Yeah. You should go visit a farm or if you don't live on one already. Yeah. You should go pick, you know, flowers or whatever, but what are you going to do with that? Like, how are you going to challenge your kids to think critically and to, um, just be conscious about the world right now. Like, yeah, you should do all those things, but you should also teach your kids about, you know, voter rights. You should teach your kids about um, reproductive justice rights. Like all of these things matter. And, and so I think what we use our 24 hours or waking 12 hours or whatever with is really, really important, really, really critical. And, navigating this privilege and using it to advocate for those that don't have privilege. Hi, beautiful ones. I am pausing this episode quickly to let you know about a couple of ways that you can work with me. I am a liberation doula, which means that my work surrounds around helping folks to birth their most joyful, liberated lives. What does it look like to be free? What does it look like to practice freedom daily? And what does it look like to orient yourself 
towards personal and collective liberation. So in order to support people in their liberation, I have two ways to work with me one-on-one. The first is through liberation coaching, which is one-off coaching. You can go onto my website and sign up for a uh, session. It's one hour where we can talk about anything that is pressing in your life or that is uh, coming up for you, questions that you want to answer or something that you want to workshop. It's a great opportunity for just kind of like anything that's coming up and you would like to talk with me about it or workshop it with me, it's a great way to do that. The other option is through the Journey Intensive Coaching Program, which is a three to 12 month coaching intensive where I walk you through my framework for liberation. This framework is something I've been working on for many, many years, and I say often is an extension of the work that my ancestors have worked on for centuries. I have boiled it down to a three-part framework, which is alignment, embodiment, and connection. First, we will walk through what is your dream for your freedom? What is the dream for your life? If you could have a full imagination about what is possible, um, let's play and be in that space. And then we evaluate your values, see what is working for you, what isn't working for you. And then are you living in alignment to those values? And then we work through what it looks like to be an embodiment of those values, an embodiment of your intuition. And then we move into the connection piece, which is all about anti-oppressions and the ways that we live out the systems of oppressions daily through the ways that we talk, the ways that we walk, the choices that we make, and the things that we support. And how do we undo that? How do we remove those things from our embodied program? Um, and that's what we work through with the coaching intensive, which is a really beautiful opportunity to dig deep into your liberation and to create frameworks and systems for that. So if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can do that through the link in the show notes or go to letsgetnaked.com slash coaching. Now let's get back to the episode. You, I think one of the big challenges is like this homeschooling and a lot of people that homeschool end up doing, um, at least in California, like a charter school um, or, you know, they file for like a, a petition to to do like a private um, affidavit so that they don't have to navigate the charter system. Um, so it becomes this idea of like us versus them, like those that are in this charter or private whatever system versus like public schools. And it's like, you know, public schools are the thing that most children have access to. So how can we advocate for our public schools? Are we standing in solidarity as allies to those children, to those youth, um, to those parents? How can we do that? I think that's kind of where I wanna challenge folks because not everybody can, you know, some. People are, yeah, people have to work. Right. Yeah. yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good point about standing in solidarity with and making those systems better as possible. I, cause I was thinking, I was reading one of your posts and um, it got me to thinking about, you know, it was, you were talking about the public school system and you're talking about how, you know, at the end of the day, that is what most kids have access is what most families have access to. And it got me thinking about like, how do you live within these systems, but be actively working against them at the same time? Like, where is the balance with that? And I'm interested to know yeah. your take on like, how do you, you know, walk the tightrope of that? Yeah, it's a balance for sure. Actually, I just read a really good post about balance um, and how it doesn't exist or something. Like some days you just turn up the dial in one thing and then turn it down in other things. And um, I think that's relevant, I think, but, but for me, I, the way that I do it is just like navigating my relationships again, my friendships, my, the people that are close to me, um, you know, and then also connecting and there's bound to be, and if there isn't one yet, you should start one. Um, people should start one. There's bound to be a group somewhere 
doing work around school ju schools justice. Um, one of my earlier jobs was around education reform, and it was um, eradicate like helping to eradicate the school to prison pipeline and making sure that we're doing um, you know schools not prison work. Mm. It was cool because I got to meet Common, who was like part That's of that. Cool. He came down <laughs> to one of the local schools, and um, yeah, that was cool. I mean, star-studded events are great, but but ultimately, what I'm getting at is like the the, the the relationships and the there's people on the ground doing that work and they welcome you and they welcome everybody they want people to help and so you know i facebook is a good place like social media is powerful it can be absolutely yeah. like draining and you know you're stuck in this trap of comparing yourself to everybody and their aesthetically pleasing activity of the day for the people <laughs> that are homeschooling and things but but the reality is that there's there's also ways to connect with people local to you who care very much about whatever it is that you care about and I think that's the other piece is like you want to navigate the issues that are mat that matter to you and, and you want to make sure that you include your kids in those conversations because um, then you'll really stick to it and you'll really go to those meetings or go to those spaces you'll 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 um what is it called not navigate um just like naturally kind of flow to those spaces right like you'll right. want to learn more about mental health you'll you'll because you're passionate about it so but yeah i i, I hope that answered your question yeah for sure for sure i'm interested too in like I love how you talk about homeschooling as decolonizing work. And I'd love to hear you talk more about that. And just like, you know, I love you saying like, you know, you just have to, you know, talk to your kids about hard things and introduce them to the things that you're passionate about. Are there like even specific ways? I specifically love talking to your kids about hard things piece is interesting because I think, you know, as a kid, as Growing up, at least in my family and in other families that looked like mine, like it was the hard conversations weren't just common, you know, table, dinner table conversations. So like that's, I feel like something is um, these newer generations and newer parents are being having to learn how to navigate. Like we don't want to ice our kids out from the hard things, the things that are important and just wait until they're adults and then having to kind of fumble with it. You know, so what, what's some of the ways that you have approached that with your kids? Those hard conversations. Age appropriate too. That's another thing I think about yeah, is like, absolutely. It, it depends yeah. on the age. I think, yeah. So I, I think my answer to folks is that people of color, most of the time, don't get um, the privilege of choosing like, when those conversation, those hard conversations first come up for, for them, um, especially, um, so, uh, and I guess it depends on where you, what community you live in, if it's a very like homogenous community, if you live in a predominantly white community, those experiences are probably gonna happen a lot sooner um, than if you lived in a predominantly uh, black indigenous people of color community. And so, but for the most part, all of us that have shades lighter or darker than, you know, white, have probably experienced something, some kind of thing at an early age. Um, and it doesn't even, it doesn't even have to be racial, um, but that's kind of the first one that comes up for folks because it's like uh, kids and, and we can I can send you a link to this later, but kids notice differences so early. Like, and there's this graphic that was created that like at, at months old, kids tend to, and they do this experiment by like, what does the child um, look at? Like, where does the child prefer to look or something like that? I don't know how they-, they Like where their eyes go. Yeah, where their eyes go, and they have a preference for a face that looks like theirs. Mm. Um, and then they have, like, 
there's different layers of it, right? Like, but, but from a very early age, kids are very aware of, of differences. They're aware of, of, you know, hair, skin color, things like that. Now it is when we assign a value to those differences that, that it becomes a challenge. And it's when we assign a value or we, you know, we're like, Oh, shh, don't talk about that. We're not supposed to talk about black people. It's like, no, that's not a bad thing. Like, or we're not right. supposed to talk about gay people. Like, no, again, this is just a way, like, this is just life. People are, people are gay. People are black. People are brown. Like, so I think that's a big, that's an important piece. It's like, how do we steer away from this conversation? Kids, kids know that differences exist. Those differences should be celebrated. And that starts also in your home. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I've done with my daughter and um, that's really a fun activity to do is like affirming and, and you can do it many ways, but you can affirm your child's skin tone. Um, I didn't come up with this idea. I read about it and I know, um, Britt Hawthorne, who's also on Instagram and is an awesome anti-bias, anti-racist educator. She, she talks about this activity too. So you mix, you encourage the child to mix different paint colors, brown, a little bit of blue, uh, a little bit of white, a little bit of black until you get a yellow, red, until you get their skin color. And then you bottle it up and you ask them to name it. So you, you know, give them ideas. Maybe it's sandcastle. Maybe it looks like a a chocolate sundae, whatever, like whatever you, that looks like for the, for the kid. And then um, you label it and that's kind of their special skin color bottle. And you put that on the table for them and they can now paint with their skin color whenever they're ready to. And so I think like affirming and affirming and always saying like, you know, your skin is amazing. And, and also, so that's one piece. And then also affirming it for yourself. Mm. Your kids need to hear you saying that. Like, and I, I'm, I'm very self-confident, but I have to say it out loud. And I'm also an introvert. So I live a lot in my head. Um, and that's been an interesting process also as a parent, because I have to say, th- I have to remind myself to say things out loud so that they can hear it. So I'll say things like, oh man, like, I love my, the shape of my nose. That was a, a while, like it took me a while to get there, but, or man, I love my skin color, my hair and my daughter, she'll kind of model me after a while. And she'll say things like that too. So I think I so. That. all that is, is, is one piece is just affirming. And when you start to talk about these things, um, my, my daughter's best friend is black and we talk about like, how is she different from Isaac or what are the differences and what are the similarities? Oh, we both love mac and cheese. Yeah, that's cool. You know, but, um, we are different because we look different. He's a boy and I'm a girl and it's just a lot of pieces, right? Like kids are not, they, they're born knowing differences, but they're not born racist. They're not right. born, um, and they're not too young to, it's, it's not, it's like a product of their community, of their, of their, you know, rearing of all of these things where, yeah, they're not too young to have difficult conversations, of course. And these are like the more positive aspects when we're talking about, there's a lot of books too. Um, there's a book that I really love called Something Happened in My Town. I forget who the author is. Um, but the, it's basically about, um, just like the Black Lives Matter movement and making sure that, and, and something uh, bad happened is like, uh, an episode of violence happened against a black body and the book navigates that conversation really beautifully. And then talking and picture books are really cool because, you know, there's, it's drawn out for you. It's laid out for you. And it's a conversation starter and it's okay not to know all the answers. I say this too in reproductive justice work, um, you know, sexuality education. That's another hard thing that is hard at like all ages when kids hit puberty, but is the more we normalize hard conversations, whatever they look like, whatever difficult, whatever is hard for you in your family. Cause some people are comfortable talking about race, but they're not comfortable talking about sex. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Whatever that looks like, like, just normalizing those those feelings of difficulty like that's okay and telling your yourself but also affirming it through telling your child like um I don't have all the answers but like let's explore this together that's okay that's okay too I I definitely don't have all the answers 
I love that. I love that answer because I feel like definitely growing up, that's not a whole lot. We've heard, I have, at least I didn't hear that in my household. Like, I don't really, I don't have all the answers. I don't know. I don't know the best option for this or whatever. So let's have a conversation to, to figure that out. As you were taking this path of homeschooling and decolonized like education, did you have pushback from your community or family in being like, maybe this is not the best idea? And how did you navigate that? Yes, I have so many teachers in my family. Um, And my dad, my sister. um, And so just like, you know, I think it's just like, maybe I sit in the discomfort of things better than most um, because I've been working in, you know, things that are uncomfortable for some people. Like, I'll just say, I used to work for Planned Parenthood and like, you know, people are not comfortable talking about reproductive health. Like it's so... And, or even mental health. I used to do mental health work too. So it's just like, I'm comfortable sitting in that discomfort, but I think, and I'm also comfortable in like pushing and pushing and challenging people's kind of beliefs. But one thing I've had to do for myself, especially given like the most recent uprisings and and kind of my family's, some of my family members' attitude towards them um, is I've had to kind of, be better about bringing people into the movement than pushing people away and like icing people out because I I before I was like oh no I can't talk to you anymore you're canceled or whatever (laughs) but now I'm just like okay I need to be able to um how do I convince you how do I tell you you know is it, do you need to hear data? Like, is it, I can provide you some data or do you need to um, hear narrative examples? Like, let me tell you some stories about things that have happened or, um, and so the same thing, right? Like, I think I provided some, a little bit of all of that for my family. Like, let me talk to you about the benefits of this system mm-hmm. or, and then the, the lack of benefits, at least for us for now, um, of this other system of, of, you know, traditional schooling and just kind of affirming that it's okay. You know, it's okay to, to take a different path. It's okay to be different. It's okay. That, that our, all of our schooling is going to look different. Like that's okay. Um, and then at the end of it, when there is continued resistance or pushback, like being okay with that too. Like, I'm not going to con- change your mind. I'm not going to convince you today. And that's okay. You have your, you know, you do you, I'll do me. Right. Just kind of leave it there. Um, but yeah, I think absolutely. There's always pushback. Yeah, for sure. That's something I've thought about. Um, Cause even when I've mentioned like to my mom or people, it's like, you know, not necessarily negativity, just kind of like, how are you going to do that? Like, that's like, kind of like impossible, that kind of attitude. So it's interesting, like, as the parent, there's so much that you have to juggle, not only just like, all right, I got to teach this kid and rear them well, but you also got to juggle the, the external um, uh, opinions as well, as, as well as your own internal thoughts about X, Y, and Z. Yeah, anytime you're doing something that doesn't, you know, stick to a, whether it's like a cultural narrative or a social, like expectations, um, I think there's challenges and I think there's going to be pushback. Maybe it's from your family, maybe it's from your friends or even from yourself, like breaking that in you and challenging yourself and like, well, no, I was supposed to be at, you know, this place by this age or whatever, like you think it's okay. It's okay to take a different path. And I think that's one thing. And I think, and I'm a product of that mentality. I told you I was, I love school. So for my daughter, it's really important for me, for my daughter to have that intuition um, in her bones and say like, you know, this doesn't feel, this is not for me and I'm okay walking away. I'm okay changing course. Um, I think that's really important because I 
did not do that for many years. I stuck through jobs that I should mm. not have stuck in for way too long. Relationships. Um, so for me, it's like really important that 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 intuition is like honed and, and really channeled, um, even at an early age. But hopefully, it gets you know refined as she gets older. And and then I have another. I have a son too, who's he's still little, but him too. <laughs> Before I ask my last question, I just um, can you tell everyone how to get contacted with you and where to find your work and all of that? Yeah, so you can find me in a couple places. You found me through my um, my radical families. I just had a rebrand, quote unquote, rebranding um, to be a little bit more open. Um, and critical of more than just the educational system, but we want to be critical of all systems of oppression. Um, so I, I rebranded from radical homeschooling to radical families. That's my Instagram handle. Um, and that's a place where I just feel really free to express um, how I'm feeling about this different, um, just like <laughs> oppressive behaviors, oppressive systems, the things that I notice and that I'm navigating. Um, my personal page is at hello Esperanza underscore, and that's what I consider my storytelling page. I have, um, I've done a lot of, uh, like talks and workshops and things, uh, around storytelling, around telling your story, around telling, um, and then that's where just a lot of that lives. So I have those two pages. I have a, and it, to the hello Esperanza page. Um, I have a blog connected to that one. It's hellospenanza.com. So again, just to reiterate, at Radical Families, at hellospenanza underscore, and hellospenanza.com. Awesome. So my last question is, what is lighting you up these days? (sighs) I think the change of weather slowly um, coming in Southern California, I, that that promise of fall and just cooler times ahead, not just for me, but for my community, for the folks that have to work outside. And it's almost like, it's literally a breath of fresh air, but it's like literally a breath of fresh air for folks, like relief, right? Right. Um, getting to work outside with my kids. We take our schooling outside and, and just like sit out there in the mornings. Um, and then I'll, I'll go back to that first, one of the first answers I gave you around relationship. Every time I feel um, without hope or hopeless, um, I turn to my relationships. I turn to the people in my life, my family, my close friends, um, my community to, I'm not even like, I was going to say to lift me up, but like not, they're not literally lifting me up. I'm just, I'm just elevated by their presence, by their conversation. Um, it's been hard in this pandemic, um, not being able to connect with people in face to face, but you know, doing this zoom calls is important. We do, I do this like weekly, um, just check in with my friends from high school of all things. Like I hadn't even connected with these people for, I don't know, a decade over a decade right. um like longer than that i don't even remember when i graduated high school and um and i <clears throat> it's been refreshing just like to hear their take as they've evolved um if i would have met them now as as an adult quote unquote as an adult i would still be friends with them <laughs> so I it's just that. cool like connecting with people you know and and then um i i also told you my my life is words so words always light me up I'm reading a lot of Octavia Butler if you haven't read her oh my god love that you have to you have to it's a little scary because she really knew what was coming um in terms of the world and the state of the world and the state of our just nation and that's she's just been a powerful motivating force she's anyway I can go on and on but those are the things that are lighting me up I love that. Love that. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom and all your knowledge. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was really nice talking to you. So what did you think? 
I really hope this episode extends your imagination about what the family structure and education can look like and how to infuse uh, decolonization into that. Please follow Esperanza and her work. She's got an incredible mind and continue to support this podcast by sharing and subscribing and leaving a review. All of that makes a huge difference in all the rankings and how this podcast and the information that's in here gets put out. So I'm very grateful for you all and I will talk to you next week. Much love to you.